Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. In our last guest co-host with Jen Loudon, we do have some audio issues. Again, it's just part of her being on an island and us trying to make it through it, but thanks so much for sticking through because I know you guys have been loving these conversations with Jen. So there's a little bit in the middle there, but then we're able to finish out really strong and it's a fun interview. So thanks for listening to this. All right. Hello and welcome to my conversations with Jen Loudon. And she is the author of several books. Her latest book is A Year of Daily Joy. And today we're going to talk about joy. Jen, hello there. Hello. I would love to jump right in and say that I, at 52 years old, am finally, think, maybe, possibly, for moments at a time, learning how to be joyful and happy. So how did you learn how to be joyful and happy? Yeah, that's a great question. I said this to my daughter yesterday. I went into Seattle to see my girl. She She's at school, a university in Seattle. And so I took some things over to her and we had breakfast, lunch, and, you know, that that, that brunch meal, that's the word for it, brunch, (laughs) and hung out. And I said to her somewhere when we were sitting in traffic, you know, I just really feel like I'm finally learning to be happy. And I want that for you a whole lot earlier in life. So I think maybe what would be useful for me is to kind of back up to what it had been before that. Is that okay? Yeah. There... Somewhere in adolescence, I think I started to conflate what I was able to do well with my right to be happy, to mix up the two, to twist them up. And I, everybody was not a particularly um, successful (laughs) adolescence, (laughs) adolescent. I was very much underweight. I had bad acne. I had learning disabilities that weren't really discovered, even not very well discovered until late in college. And I definitely had some depression and probably some just, I I don't want to say mental illness. It's probably too strong of a word, but why not? Mental illness. And I like embracing that. And not, I mean, lovely parents, but, you know, suburban Florida, Southern life that wasn't anything like the the resources and the awareness that so many of us have now about our wholeness. And that got twisted up with my creativity because even as a young person, I wanted to create, I wanted to write, I wanted to make movies. I made the super eight movie that I think I worked on it for months. (laughs) It just was, it was quite the gobbledygook by the end. Um, and but I was frustrated in that ability to re- realize my visions, and and I know every creative person listening is like nodding, going yes, of course. But what I didn't know then was that frustration, that gap 
between what you want, what you desire, what you maybe even envision, at least you, you have a sense as possible. And then what you actually create is the creative experience. <laughs> you have to learn to be in that gap, right? And to take care of yourself there and, and open to the uncertainty and the discomfort. I didn't learn that for a long time. So that got twisted up with normal adolescence and not fitting into my beautiful, you know, you, being a beautiful person and all of that that we all have, maybe even more so now. And not feeling like I could do it. And so I started to feel like I had to earn happiness. Not That's not correct, Corinne. I had to perform. I had to finish. I had to get somewhere. And it had to be good. And then I could be relaxed and happy. Ooh. Can you relate to that at all? Oh, yeah. It's, it's tied yeah. with the worthiness. It's all of that. Like if once I'm good enough, then I can be happy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it was a subtly different flavor for me. The good enough was once I could perform creatively in a certain way. It's interesting. I, I really hung on that. I'm sure at the time it was if only my skin would be clear. You know, if only I could gain 10 pounds. Now, of course, if only I could lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's through our human mind. So, but that became deeply entwined in me. And then when I went away to college, I went to film school at USC and then worked in the film business when I graduated. But my work wasn't, I wasn't working as a writer, which is what I wanted to do. So I would write in my free time and I would make myself, I'd have these impossible standards where I was supposed to be either at work or writing. And really drove myself into quite a deep hole um, of not having any time for play or renewal or sense, I guess, again, of enoughness. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that really imprinted itself on me. And then when I did become successful as a writer later on with the Woman's Comfort book, it it began to be about building on that and making it more and being a good enough mom and... Um, and happiness just always felt like something that I was that that meant I needed to be able to relax and feel safe and enough in this really essential way. And I didn't have access to that. So happiness meant to you that you needed to be enough and feel s- safe. and what what else did you say? Relax, relaxed. Relax. But as soon as relax. as soon as you would <laughs> achieve something, where would you go? Would you would you be able to relax? So yes, there were times, there were weeks and months in there that I would. I don't mean to make myself sound like some kind of driven, um, insane harridan. There, I remember after Lily was born and I finished the Pregnant Woman's Comfort book, and then I had this was pre-internet, right? So it was so much more spacious. I had time off, and I remember a lot of relaxing. I mean, there was definitely I had some postpartum depression and. There were, there was, you know, there was anxiety there. Chris was gone. My husband was gone a lot. Um, but there, I can also remember a lot of, of peaceful being and marveling at this, this thing called a kid, this child that I had in my lap and my back and my heart. And I can remember long walks. We say these wonderful long walks from our house. We lived up above the mission in Santa Barbara and I would walk down with her on my back and we would go up to this um, hidden statue of Mary that was at the back of a, um, the monastery complex there. Uh, I can't think of the name of it. And I would have these wonderful moments there. And then I would walk in some other beautiful places that became very sacred to me. So absolutely. I, and I think that's true for all of us, right? We have, we can, ha- we can hold both. We can hold moments of being and relaxing beingness. And, and we could also hold these moments of anxiety and not enoughness. And so how has happiness changed for you since then? 
Mm, well, that's a long, complicated path, isn't it? How do we pull it out? Um, uh, what would be the key? I, I, I think one key for me has learning has been learning to allow myself to be seen. Ooh. Yes, I have, um, I think, some issues probably from early imprinting with my mom or not um, attachment theory that we're all hep on these days. Um, and I don't think I got seen or I made up a story that I wasn't seen. Either way, <laughs> I had this way of hiding and I hid a lot in my first marriage. I think, or wanted to merge. And so it was meeting Bob, my present husband, who's really good at seeing and accepting me um, and being very consistent with that. And then it's also my brain trust, which is a group of five other people who I've been meeting with virtually and once a year in person for about nine or 10 years, being seen by them. It's been painful and slow. And we started working. And for years, our focus just our businesses, but eventually, you know, business and life, they're really the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what sticks you up in your business is certainly showing up in other places and can be addressed and needs to be addressed in inner and outer. Um, so those were the two. And then I think learning to see myself and welcome whatever was coming, whatever was arising, as we say in meditation, you know, whether it was a thought or a, a sensation or a, a sense of hollowness and learning like that wonderful Rumi poem, The Guest House, to, oh, here you are. Come on in. What kind of tea would you like today? Let's sit down instead of Oh, I can't believe you're here. Oh, I want to change you. What, 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 what technique could I learn? What, if I, if I, my butt was tighter, would you go away? My <laughs> arms were more sculpted. If I was more patient with my daughter, <laughs> would you just go away? That's been profound. Welcoming, greeting, meeting, and welcoming. And, and then what else? Um, what else has really helped me? Gosh, it feels like there's so many things. What's helped? What's helped you? Enough about me. Um, well, <laughs> one of the things that you said just there, like the word acceptance, came to mind. Right, just accepting me instead of orphaning off parts of me mm -hmm. that I didn't want to look at. Like accepting all of me, and I can really um, resonate with allowing myself to be seen. Mm -hmm. You know, allowing myself to show up because you know, as you know, because we've met each other in person. Mm -hmm. I'm a tall person. I'm big. You are. You're so statuesque and beautiful. My gosh. But you're big. You're right. I imagine that's different to be in the world than me who's short. <laughs> and, and, you know, and people always my whole life drawing attention. You're so tall. You're so tall. You have such broad shoulders from swimming. I mean, the constant, you know, conversation throughout my life about how I looked and, and, and me being the introvert that I am having a hard time with that. Um, and I, and there was that kind of transactional relationship I had, I think with happy, like, oh, I'm not deserving to be happy and, um, or happiness is for these kind of people, whatever the rules were, I, they're not very clear. Yeah. They're not very clear. That's kind of a clue, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's always like, oh, you just can't be happy. Not to somebody like you. Um, and then really getting caught up kind of, I remember as a teenager when I was 13 and really getting caught up in the drama of things, right? Thinking, well, that was kind of the cool way to be. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, as, as I look now, because I do have happy, 
Um, and I really, there's a lot of contentment. Um, some things I do can get like excited. I was just telling somebody the other day, excited for me is not a feeling I'm really comfortable with. It's, it can be more vulnerable because mm. it's like, oh, if I achieve a certain goal, sometimes I'm like, oh crap, how am I going to be able to do that again? Oh, I so know that story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. So it's that foreboding joy. And so I kind of like, I've been very careful because I don't want to be in that drama swampland anymore. So I mm -hmm. try to like live within the twos. Like if negative 10 to t positive 10, this is a feeling scale I use with clients. If it's negative 10 to positive 10 and the swampland is like negative six to negative 10, right? And that's the neighborhood I used to live in. And then positive 10 is, you know, those teenage moments when you find euphoria. <laughs> but really, like I try to live in the negative two to twos. And I was realizing this week that maybe I can allow myself outside of that. Like I can, I'm, I'm very comfortable with feeling shame or sadness and feeling those feelings because I understand that it's important in their messages, but also allowing myself to feel the happiness and the joy and without the worry, you know, that foreboding joy of, oh no, what's going to happen? The shoe's going to drop. Like allowing myself to just be happy in that moment and being joyful but also there can be an irritant, like right before we got on the call, right? There can be an irritant that's happening because mm -hmm. of something that's going on, but that doesn't, but we can still be joyful. Yes. That, that so many things just came up for me as you were speaking and, and I'll just go with the first one. And that is, I think the next thing for me, maybe the most important, I don't know how to rate these about learning to be happy, joyful, even the words feel imprecise to me, but it's learning to experience and trust a feeling of well-being that is available in every moment. And I've done this through, through meditation practice, specifically a practice called I rest, I hyphen rest, R-E-S-T. And it's based on yoga nidra, which is an ancient practice, like thousands of years old, but it's been secularized in a, by a man named Richard. In other words, so it has religious or connotation. So, and he uses it extensively and effectively with um, the military and PTSD, homeless um, teenagers, you know, populations that can't, that need brain help and support and spiritual help as well. And so for me, that practice has been really incredible for accessing a sense of, of well-being and being able to find it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Anywhere. When my mother, I was on a call this morning needing to concentrate and my mom is freaking out four blocks away at memory care. And so she's calling me repeatedly. So the phone's bang, bang, you know, <laughs> interrupting my thought. Oh, is well-being present even here? Or before we started the call, my neighbors are lovely, lovely people, but they're obsessed with cleaning. So they are for the, they, they power wash their driveway and sidewalk every few weeks. I've done it twice in 14 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in fact, we hired them, their son to do it for us recently. Um, so they're doing it and that sound and I'm trying to write and I know you're going to, you and I are going to be speaking and, and is well-being present even here. And that practice and that awareness, which is in the body, it's not in the mind, it's in the body has been and continues to be. I'm so grateful for what I can weep. I mean, I could absolutely weep. And that's something, I, it's deeper even than happiness in a way, right? Because it's like happiness and joy and sorrow and sadness and frustration are the waves on top of this ocean of well-being. I mean, yeah, the ocean or the, 
I don't know if that metaphor works, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. And then there's something else that you were saying that felt really juicy to me, but I forgot what my thought was. You know, it's sometimes like I get so busy in the moving forward or getting things done that like that Mm. moment that I would so hunger for. Um, It's like, oh no. I mean, just the other night, this is so silly, but just the other night I, I, I was with my husband and he's like, I just want to be here and be here with you. And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, but let's get the show going. I want to watch yes. the TV show. Right? Yeah. And it's, oh my gosh, if you had told me 20 years ago, I was going to have this man who's so in love with me and who just wants to spend time with me. And he's like, there's, you know, I'm so happy right now. And I'm like, but let's watch this TV show. It's like, yeah. But it was just because I was like, oh, let's get this done. And then I can go to sleep. And, you know, I get sometimes on those kinds of things and yeah. I bypass those moments that become that are so important in my life. Yeah, you know what's helped me with that is a few different things. One is I'm getting a little echo. Are you? We, you we, yeah, we have a little audio issue. <laughs> audio <laughs> issues. I don't hear it anymore. No, keep going. Okay, so one thing that really helps me with that because I have that drivenness too. It's huge part of me. Um, well, is, wait, wait, wait. So this is yeah. drivenness with watching a television show. No, I know. I, sh- I totally, <laughs> totally. I'll do the exact same thing. Like, come on, let's get, get in here. Cause we we're okay. Dirty little secret. Now that we're mostly empty nesters, we, our son is still at home, but he is, you know, 18, six foot two and mostly gone. We love to eat dinner and watch one show on Netflix. <laughs> and so we, you know, we watch TV, dinner and TV. Of course we don't do it when he's home. We all have a family dinner. But um, we love it. And I really look forward to it. And so I'll be like that. Like, get your dinner in here, Bob. Let's get this show on the road. Uh, so, yes, exactly that. And what has helped, helped me with that is a few things. And one is saying, is reminding myself through the body, which is like the key to it all. Um, there's just this moment. And now this moment. And then spreading a felt sense, you know, how you could, if you feel into your right hand right now, you can just, you just put your attention there. You can feel sensation. Oh, I have a right hand. And we can do this with our entire body. And then we can extend that felt sense out beyond our body in all directions and say this moment. And we begin to slow down our nervous system so that we can actually be here because part of what's happening and we have to have so much compassion for this is our life is not built for our nervous system, period, big period, end of discussion. Our life is not built for this nervous system that we have. And we have to have a lot of, we have to have ways to slow that down and not expect ourselves to just go from 60 to zero. Mm -hmm. And if we do, then we get really down on ourselves so, so this, this moment, this moment, oh, this moment, huh? And then this moment, because then that reminds me that, that it's just one moment at a time, but I'm actually in it, not thinking to be mindful, like thinking mindful really screws me up. It just makes me want to kill somebody like, oh, don't tell me to be mindful. <laughs> <laughs> I want just go, go get the tequila right now. <laughs> but if I feel my way into it, it's like, oh, and then the other thing is I am doing the best I can in this moment. Mm-hmm. I am really doing the best I can in this moment. And when I forget that, then, then I think I have to get somewhere mm-hmm. because then I'm going to do better. 
Yeah. Wow. And then the third thing is, is, is asking myself, how does life want to live me right now? Ooh, that's a good question. Isn't it? It really kind of spins your little mind around because, well, I have no idea. And then it brings you back to the body, like, because the body's going to tell you, how does life want to live me right now? Oh, it really wants to lay up against that cutie pie husband of mine and smell his, ooh, that, that, that aftershave he has or whatever he puts on his face. Oh, that's what I want. I want to smell that. Ooh, I really want to kiss him. Ooh, I just really, I just want to be here with him. Okay. But the TV, it's okay. What's life wanting right now? Oh, what? life's wanting to live on the couch with this man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's not. And then life is wanting to turn the TV on. <laughs> And, yeah. and it's not like back in the olden days when you had to watch it live or you had no choice, right? We were watching something on the computer, so we had a choice. I could delay it. Yes. And that's some and, and those those truths I think can arise for us. We can become aware of them once we've come back to the body. But when we're not, then it's just like we're trying to it's like when we're in that other place, the place that you and I were just were describing before of come on, let's get the show on the road. It's like if we try to slow ourselves down with the mind from that place, we rebel, right? It's like my joke about grab the tequila bottle. Like there's this part of me that's very rebellious. And if you try to force me to be mindful and present, I'm just going to flip you off. But if I can feel my way there and breathe my way there as an invitation and realize that there's something larger than me and it doesn't have to be God, it doesn't have, it's life. Like life is larger than me. I don't remember to breathe. Life breathes me. So when I remember that, I can begin to ease out of that place. Not always, not always. It, it certainly helps to have, you know, meditation practices and people to talk to this about and support. It's not a, it's not a journey to do alone. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Would you say, so for this joyful state that you're in and, you know, this life work that you've gone through is going back to your body, one of the things that has helped you? Oh, it's it, 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 it's it. It's it. It's the doorway. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to think my way there <laughs> and it didn't work. It does work to a certain degree, but it's very dry. It's like why mindfulness meditation and like the John Kabat-Zinn school, which I think is fantastic. He doesn't have a school, but in the John Kabat-Zinn approach, um, MSBR, I think it's called, or Vipassana in the more Buddhist tradition, um, never really worked for me. And it was too dry. And the body is so juicy. And I'm scared of it. I, I mean, hands up. I have spent so many years going there and leaving, going there and leaving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's got to be this like way that I, I weave it in that's very relaxing. And that's why I rest has been so useful to me because you go into a, you can do it a lot of different ways, but you can just go into this really deep, almost asleep. Sometimes you do fall asleep um, state and you could, it's like a juicy way. Mm-hmm. I like juicy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like fun, you know? I, I like that my neighbor has stopped cleaning. <laughs> I can see him and he's putting his stuff away. I'm like, yay. <laughs> what's on your fun list? Well, what's on my fun list? This is going to sound like I'm some kind of monastic weirdo, but it really is meditation right now and, and doing guided my rest uh, practices with CDs with other teachers um, it really is writing right now and, and, and feeling into my devotion for this book project or whatever it's going to become. It really is being with Bob. I mean, we're, 
we've been together about seven and a half years now, and we're just in the sweetest place. And we have this sense of a second honeymoon as we spend more time alone without the kids. It's being with my daughter yesterday. I mean, we had breakfast. We went shopping. I hate to shop, but I was as happy as if I was on a mountaintop in the Cascades, um, just being with her. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's the same stuff. It's just there's this different ex- there's a different ex- access to it now instead of that driven place of, oh, let's get to the top of the mountain. Oh, let's find the perfect shorts for the trip to Mexico. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, here I am with Lily. Oh, wow. Oh, she's trying on sunglasses. That's so cute. And I missed the ferry. And I didn't, I did say, though, I will say on the way to the ferry, traffic was bad. And I was like, I was getting uptight. And it was very interesting to watch the places that I'm very habituated to anxiety. And then I missed the ferry. And then to watch myself be totally okay with it. So that was really fascinating. I don't know what it, you know, I don't know why I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. But I was, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wasn't okay on the way, but I was weaving well-being into the anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I definitely didn't stress my body out as much. One of the things that I know is that like I have these kind of, I, I they're my well-being buckets. And so when I, these different five different buckets are full, I'm able to handle stuff like missing a ferry or, mm. you know, and when I, they're not full, then that's when things can I can react differently. And so I will look at, okay, what are the things like I will check in and, you know, one of the buckets that I have is just about engagement within and what are the, and I know what those things are. And so sometimes I'll be like, for me, it can be time alone or it can be uh, exercise or movement. It could be reading, it can be learning. And so sometimes I'll check in because I'll notice a bit of agitation and I'm like, oh, I haven't learned anything for a bit. And, and, and so then I go and I, I add that to, you know, you know, my day in some way. And it may be just a five minutes because that may be a, the reality of what I have, or it may be that I carve out an hour. Mm. And so I, I'm constantly checking in to see where, you know, if I'm not at that place of well-being, what are the things that I need to fill that bucket? And I wonder, like for you, the difference between going versus coming back is that your bucket with your daughter had been filled and so that you're able to handle that. I, I would I would say that for me, it's the this deeper bucket has been filled, but I love that metaphor. And in my book, The Life Organizer, I have this much less beautiful way of, I love buckets of well-being. <laughs> and I have a term called minimum requirements for self-care, which sounds very clinical. Um, but it's the same idea. It's the idea that you list these things that you need, not that they're goals or to-dos, but so that you keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And you look at that list every now and then when you want to leave your partner or you want to leave your job or you want to move to Bali. And you're like, oh, well, before I do those things, perhaps I should check in with this list. Have I been giving me myself some of these most of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a brilliant practice. Um, well, because one of the buckets is relationship with others. And that mm. one is so important. Like another bucket is achievement. And I'm really good at that. Like I've got that bucket mastered. But the achievement and the engagement within are the two buckets that I used to let go dry. And relationships with others is really, really important to be connected, whether it's my husband or my kids or my friends. You know, to be connected with people is so important to me. And so I do check in with that. Do I need time alone or do I need to be with people? What is it that I need? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, 
I, you know, what it reminds me of is in my first marriage, my husband, Chris, God love him, always thought that if we had to work at our marriage, something was the matter and that we weren't, <laughs> I don't want to say that we weren't meant to be together, but he, he really had the attitude that you shouldn't have to work at your marriage. And he changed that attitude shortly before he left me, <laughs> strangely enough. Um, but I think there's also the story that I've had in my life that, that, there should be that this shouldn't be so conscious that we shouldn't have to be perhaps have to work at showing up for ourselves. And I would say that I no longer believe that, but I've also found a way to do it that feels much more flowing um, right now. Total caveat right now. <laughs> and that is this, you know, first thing in the morning to, to come into the studio and sit on the meditation cushion and see, welcome what's here. You know, so today it looked like really welcoming the pain in my my left side of my body and talking to it. And it had some requests of sort of some actions it wanted me to take today, some stretches and, you know, and just make, and then being technical about it. I wrote those stretches down on my to-do list for today so they don't get forgotten. So I think that's the other thing about joy and happiness. It's built on self-trust mm-hmm. and it, it's built on making and keeping agreements with ourselves, whatever they are and making and keeping agreements that are actually keepable right? And not vague or so outrageous. Like you said, five minutes of learning instead of making an agreement. I'm going to stay up until one o'clock in the morning listening to five TED Talks, mm-hmm. which you're not about to do because you need your sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've I, The rules that I've had for like what learning look like has definitely loosened. It's like, okay, how can, if I need a nugget of it, how can I fill it into my life right now? You know, because there's parameters. We all have things going on and there's some stuff that whether it's a higher priority or it's a commitment that we choose that is really important. So, for instance, um, you know, making sure that I uh, cook a really good meal for my family that's healthy and nutritious. I'm not going to say, oh, well, we're not going to eat because I need to go and learn. Right. right. So that, that, but it's like, how can I, you know, maybe while I'm cooking, I can be watching a TED talk. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this joyful thing, have you ever been afraid to be joyful? Oh, yes. I was just with my brain trust in person, the support group that we've been together for about 10 years. We have an annual retreat and we just did it. And um, one of the things that we each get the hot seat. And you get five coaches on you for about an hour and a half. Um, and then, you know, we're also talking and coaching each other throughout the, the, the two, two and a half days that we're together. But for an hour and a half or so, you're really getting, you know, you're, you're, you're sweating. And, um, and during my time, you know, I, I found myself just saying repeatedly, wow, it's, it's hard for me to trust that it's okay to have what I want because I was articulating a, a, a tweak fairly substantial tweak in my work and my business. Um, and, and it kept coming up for me to have to, to say, because I wanted to be seen and witnessed, you know, it's, it's hard for me to believe it's okay to be this happy. And I, and I, and that really brings up to me another way uh, or another round or another flavor of being seen, you know, who witnesses you in this, these stories that you have so that you can just hold them as stories 
And I think part of what has been really wonderful for me is I've been writing these stories for a couple of years now, working on this thing that may become a book. And it's really, a, it's a story of learning to let go and, and freeing myself from a tremendous period of, of regret that started, started, I think, with the divorce, maybe before that with my dad's death. And so telling stories um, and then being freed from stories is, has also been really important to me. Mm-hmm. I love this because um, I have that same thing, hard to trust that it's okay to have what I want. Mm. And, it, and you mean I, 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 what I've found again and again working with people and then seeing it reflected in myself is that trust that you may not get it exactly the way you want it. I think of a client I worked with who really wanted to have a child and that didn't happen. Um, you know, there's lots of things that we want in life that we all don't get and some of them are very heartbreaking. But there's still a way that we keep working with that flavor of, of, of desire and being devoted to listening to our own desires and seeing that itself, I think, is such an essential practice. I know it's an essential practice. It's not the form, but it's not dismissing. It's not dismissing I what I want. And I think as we work with that, we come to this deeper and deeper felt sense of, of life living us again, of life living us through these desires, not through the form or the outcome, but through the opening to it. What, so, you know, what I, I'm hearing as you're talking about this and I'm noticing how I'm changing what I'm perceiving. Mm. So hard to trust that it's okay to have what I want or what I want. Um, and it, and that for me, like, cause that can be an issue for me too. And it's like, Oh, if I trust this, then this will happen. And if it doesn't mm. happen, then therefore it discredits the trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. But it's really about just trusting that this is what I want. I may or may not get it. Like you said, the client who wants to have a baby, but her body can't. Right. You can, that is what she wants, but it doesn't mean it's, it's about letting go of that outcome and, and saying, this is what I want. This is what my heart wants. This is what I want. And I may or may not be able to have it in the terms of the baby, or maybe it will change and it will look differently than what I thought I want. There's that famous Joseph Campbell quote that I'm not even going to try because I'll mangle. Um, it was about accepting the, the life that you have. Um, mm, instead of the life that you want. I think isn't yeah. that it wasn't that young or was it I thought Joseph? It was, I thought it was Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Well, let's both mangle it together. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody can but one of the listeners can look it up. But um but yeah, that that so then we try then we don't we when we have a hard time trusting what we want, we start we stop letting ourselves want what mm-hmm. it is that we want because oh I can't trust it. Yeah, exactly. It okay. is a very it's like a it's a horrible cycle to get into. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we probably have all been there. And if you haven't been, hallelujah. But what I found over the years of um, working with women around these concepts is that desire and self-trust, they go hand in hand. And part of the self-trust comes from really setting what we said earlier, like what comes out of our inner life, what comes out of our commitments and making them very clear and really keeping them and only committing to what we can keep and then really noticing when we don't and recommitting and forgiving ourselves and beginning again. So that has this very tangible level of 
building that trust. But then it has this more soulful or intangible level of saying, wow, I really feel a desire arising to make pancakes. Oh, but pancakes are bad and you shouldn't have weed and you're going to have to go to the store. And it's like, okay, yeah, that, that may all be true. I may not want to bother, but I really just want to be with this desire and go into it for pancakes for a couple of minutes, everybody. <laughs> or I really feel a desire to to take pictures every day. Oh, well, you should turn that into part of your brand and, and you should have to go learn about this cam- camera app and that camera app. No, I just really want to... I just really want to play with photography for right now and notice what that experience and desire and realizing it and living into it is like. Yeah. And I don't know if those are the best examples, but those are a couple of things that I would do. (laughs) Pancakes and photographs came up. Yeah, but I think those are great nuggets, right? To open up the minds of the listeners out there. And the more that we can learn how to just trust ourselves and to allow ourselves like here. So here's one of the things, this is the TV thing. I have tremendous shame about television, tremendous. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it came, you know, it was a family of origin thing. My mom, I was the, I was the smart kid who got to go to school late back in the day. Um, and, uh, but I would have extra homework because I was in this reading group. I don't even know how it worked because they don't have these anymore, but, some kids who needed more reading specialists, they would have to come in earlier, but I didn't have to because I was the smart kid. But my mom gave me more homework. And, and you know, I'm from, my mom's Asian and that's just what you do culturally. And I totally get that. But so the, the message to me was TV is bad. TV is not for smart people. I love TV. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. It's just, I like it. It's fun. It's entertaining. And I like TV. And, um, and Netflix has a whole new world, right? Because you can, for the most part, find stuff. But a lot, like I'm constantly giving myself permission that it's okay that I watch TV. It's okay if this is what I want. I don't, you know, I, I watch, I still am productive. I get all my work done. I do all of this stuff. But there's a part of me that when I used to not let myself watch TV, cause it's like, well, no, cause that won't mean I'm intellectual or no, that, you know, and I would, I wasn't allowing myself to have what I want. And then that was festering in other areas of my life. Oh, for sure. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Like 15,000 thumbs up on this. Mm-hmm. We, if, it, if, it, it, when we don't let ourselves have these simple pleasures wholeheartedly, they turn into shadow comforts, which is a term I've used for about 25 years, which are the things that we do instead of what we really want to nurture ourselves or they're substitutes or they're, they're things that we really do want like TV, but then we do more of it because we're really not taking it in. So yes, to to noticing desire at this very simple level. It is absolutely profoundly freeing. And sometimes, for example, I used to watch, here we go, a soap opera. (laughs) I went to college in 1980 and General Hospital was a absolute phenomena on college campuses in that year and the next year. And so I had watched General Hospital with my maid when I was sick, when I was a kid. And so there was this sense of comfort around it. And then, of course, in college, you want a sense of comfort. So I started watching it sporadically. I didn't really majorly get into it. But then after college and and after my first job experiences, I went out on my own as a freelance screenwriter and my days were completely formless. And I clung to an hour of general hospital at noon while I ate my lunch like it was a life raft. 
And I would feel so conflicted about it. And it wasn't until I really let myself say, this is what I do. This is my ritual. Yay. That the need to watch that show disappeared. And I never watched it again. And I'm not saying that that's because it was wrong. Mm-hmm. But it was because I, was, I wasn't at freedom to be in relationship with it because I was making it a dirty little secret. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I'd pull down the blinds in my living room, <laughs> you know, like, ooh, I'm so weird that I work at home and, and, and I watched, you know, like all the story would be around it. And, oh, God forbid if somebody came to the door while I was watching it. <laughs> Well, it's that allowing ourselves to be seen, right? And I remember some years ago, I was just, I just crashed. I was done. It was the new year. Uh, I, I was exhausted. I worked really hard and I overworked and I wound up watching TV. It was like January 1st. I watched TV, I think for nine hours. Oh my God. <laughs> and I thought, and I, I had the story in my head that, oh, it's because I just found all this great programming. And how am I going to go back to work? Because I'm going to have to watch this night for nine hours. Well, no, my buckets were all empty. And I was just kind of, you know, sitting there. And I, once I realized that, once I just owned it and gave myself permission to watch TV, and I think the next day I watched it for three hours. And then, and then I was just done. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm done. And I moved on. And then, so I've really been conscientious over the years to allow myself, like, give permission to watch TV. Are you really enjoying it? Yes. Uh, right. Check in with yourself mm-hmm. while you're doing it. Like, is there a way that this could be even more fun? Mm-hmm. You know, is this, is this really what I want is one of my favorite questions. Was this really what I want? Maybe this is a substitute for something else I really want that I'm really not letting myself have, right? So we can, sometimes there's a deeper level of desire, but we're not going to be able to activate that or access that rather if we're in the guilty, you know, place. And you know what the guilty place looks like. It looks like instead of getting the the computer just so and the pillows just so bef- and getting the snack that you want and the, the, the tea and everything just set up, you you know, you just kind of plop yourself down and you're kind of half uncomfortable and you're thirsty, but you're not getting yourself water. And, you know, you just, maybe you keep even checking your phone while you're on Netflix, not really letting yourself have an immersive experience. You know what it's like to cheat yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, I recall it too, the, the nineties and the fat free snack well days, right? Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> when you wouldn't let yourself have a cookie, but you need a whole box of snack wells and still yeah. not be satisfied. <laughs> Exactly. It's a perfect metaphor, everybody. Just think, am I snackwelling this? <laughs> That's your check-in. Am I snackwelling this? And then the other one, is this really what I want? Because there's two levels, right? Snackwelling is like I'm giving myself something, but I'm blocking the pleasure. And when we're blocking the pleasure, then we can't sink down deeper into, well, huh, is this feeling good? Like I know the other night, Bob, Bob and I, as I said, we watched this one show together. Um, whatever the show is, we just finished Broadchurch, the BBC, eight episodes, un brilliantly, believably great. A little dark, a little dark, but oh my God, the writing. Oh my gosh, can't stop thinking about it. Um, anyway, so we, my point, what well, my point? Oh, so one night he was gone or he wanted to watch something else or I don't know. So I watched an episode of House of Cards, mm-hmm. totally not enjoying uh-huh. myself. Such mm-hmm. a dark show, mm-hmm. did not like it, but wasn't like really letting myself stop and, and go, ooh, am I, you know, giving myself permission to really stop and ask that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful inquiry. It's a relationship with ourselves and our desires. It, it, it is never ending where it can take us. Mm-hmm. And, and in the, um, 
you know, there's a number of spiritual traditions in the East, in the yogic world, where following our desires in this way um, are believed to, to, to be a very incredible path to enlightenment. So there you have it. If the- via Netflix. Exactly. <laughs> via Netflix. Hey, I, 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 think, I think anything is a path back to awareness. Anything is a path back to um, that which doesn't change, including maybe even House of Cards. Maybe not. Maybe well, not. <laughs> the, the House of Cards thing, right? Because everybody on Facebook was talking about it. I'm like, oh, I've got to watch it. And I, I think I watched just the first season because I do kind of finish things. And but I, I think the reason I kept watching it is well, well everybody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. So I should be watching this. And I just kept feeling dirty. Yes, I got through five episodes and it took me about four months. I think oh. I just got through the fifth episode or so whatever amount of time that's been. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I want my TV to make me feel good, right? For me, it's I read and I write all day and then then I go to bed and read. So sometimes my eyes need a break and my brain needs a break in between. Mm -hmm. I love sharing something with Bob like that. I love, like we've been watching West Wing for Mm -hmm. years. We're still not through it. I still haven't made it all the way through West Wing. It's like something when we're feeling really bad about the country, we watch West Wing and and wish that Bartlett was our real president. Or we watched, um, I love to time travel with television Mm -hmm. and I love to study it as a writer. Um, it's very, um, I loved thinking about this broad church and how the backstory informed the, the, the story that we watch on television and how did they do that? And how did they develop those characters? And, and then I didn't really get what the series was about until the next day after we finished it. I'm like, Oh, and I won't tell everybody, but Oh, that's what I think it's really about. Mm -hmm. I love this. There's a lot of deep thinking that can go on with this television stuff. No, I think, I mean, I do like television and it makes me think, and I have really, so my rules, especially after House of Cards, is that I really want to watch shows that are about how to make the world better. Like I don't need the the darkness or, you know, things like I love West Wing. Like how do you lead? What are the decisions you make? What's the responsibility? A show that I just fell in love with sometime in the last six months was uh, Blue Bloods. Mm, and, I've never um, heard of that. I'm writing that one down. Is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix. It's a Tom Selleck show. And I'm, I'm so afraid to be judged by loving this show. But the first season was kind of hard to get through. And um, but then I started to really like it because there's there's a couple components. Tom Selleck, he's the police commissioner in New York. I don't like the CSI or any of those kind of shows. No, me neither. But so I can put up with the crime because it's really been insightful just to watch, and it could be all wrong, but how somebody who's a police commissioner and the decisions that he makes and the responsibilities, right, from his perspective. His son is a detective. His other son is a patrolman who went to Harvard Law School, but because his other brother was killed in the line of duty, became a policeman. See, you're talking about them like they're real people. That's part of what our brain likes. Yeah. When we watched, um, oh, what was the show that we watched together? Oh, Friday Night Lights. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. We watched that on disc. As a family, and the the kids finally fell away for the last two seasons. But we we would not let ourselves. This was some special. We only watched one a week. It was so special. Mm-hmm. And Bob would look at me when we would finish for the week. The the at one or I mean sometimes two episodes. We'd let ourselves if we were really feeling wild. And he'd be like, "These people are real." Yeah. <laughs> well, that but that's what I love is that realness. Friday Night Lights is one of our favorite shows. It's and, fantastic. And you know, my husband has been a high school coach. He's a university coach. And I swear, it, there were days, and I don't think of myself as Tammy Taylor. 
other. But there were days like I remember we were watching the show <laughs> and she was like so mad because the football team had come over and there are peanut shells on the yes! house. Right? Hot and, dog left under the table. And I was just as irritated because I just got done cleaning the house because my husband's men's swim team was over and they had eaten, had this pasta feed at our house and I had to clean. And I was like, really? What am I doing? I was like, oh my gosh. And re- when he lost his team, my husband lost his team. I was like, this is too close. Parallel lives. And, uh, but it's real. And that's the kind of shows that I really like. I don't say Blue Bloods is totally like that, but there's a family dynamic and there's a leadership dynamic that has pulled me in. And then they're, you know, they try to, they go back to, because they have debates about these decisions and what's the law and then what's, you know, the humanity part and how, what decisions they make, right? Life's not black and white, it's messy. And that's what I really appreciate. Mm. Um, about shows. So those are the kind of shows that I look for. And I just have to constantly check in and go, okay, because House of Cards has been back, right? And everybody's been talking about it on Facebook and going, giving myself permission that it doesn't, it's okay if it, other people like it, but it doesn't feel good for me. Yeah. And it goes back to this deeper conversation that we're having. And I'll just point out that when judgment arises, when self-judgment or judgment about what others are doing or not doing arises, it cuts us off from desire. So it's just something to be aware of, right? When we're all like, like you even said, you know, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to be judged for watching Blue Bloods. It's like, really? Oh, that's just like, welcome that. Welcome that. Come on in and have tea and tell me about that. My teacher calls that degraded wisdom. You know, it's wisdom that we've rejected. So it's had to go out and turn into judgment or comparisons or envy or drivenness or whatever. But when we can welcome it and say, come on in. Yeah, you're totally welcome here. Oh my God, your feet stink. You're so welcome here. Come on in. Are you like, I don't have that kind of tea, but this is the best I can do for you. Now tell me about yourself. Then we can begin to, that that which is welcomed, can we can go beyond. Oh. But we can't welcome it thinking we're going to get beyond it. <laughs> right? We can't welcome in the stranger and say, okay, welcome, but I want you to leave. Mm-hmm welcome, but I want you to leave. We welcome you in and it's acceptance. It is. Acceptance is really deep level. And what's helped me is knowing that I'm not actually welcoming it in, but this spacious awareness is welcoming it in this, you know, everything is welcome here just as it is. Well, I think that's a great note to finish on. Welcome Mm. and acceptance. Yeah. Cause that's, I think one of my keys to this joyful period of my life that I, that I hope to abide in. For as long as it's here. (laughs) And we can always revisit it. So things will come, but joy can come back too. So It sure can. Well, thank you, Jen, so much for being a part of this journey on how she really does it and doing these shows with me. It's been so much fun. Oh, you too. I really enjoyed doing this and getting to know you and getting to spend time with your people. So I really appreciate the chance to have these conversations. They've been so rich. Oh, great. I love being able to close out the series with Jen Loudon where we can talk about joy and happiness because we've really talked about some of the harder conversations, you know, friendships, which was a huge trigger point for a lot of people and overcoming inadequacies and the myths of perfection and, you know, having compassionate grit. So this idea about learning how to be joyful and happy, what a great way to close out. And I hope that some of the takeaways that you took were that you can be joyful and there can be still some irritating stuff going on or that it's just a practice. And sometimes we have to be really more conscious about it than not. Um, 
that and where the joy comes from. And Jen has her way with yoga and meditation. I have a different way, but there's no right or wrong way. It's about what works for you. Did you take some nuggets from Jen? Did you take some nuggets from me? Did it trigger some insight into you, right? Or even if you just had permission of, oh, I'm not allowing myself to have what I want, whether it's a television show that I may like or eating a piece of food, you know, it's what are the things that you allow yourself to have? What do you really want? And because if you don't allow yourself to have what you want, it will diminish other areas of allowing yourself what you want. And again, I need to clarify, allowing yourself to have what you want is not about saying, I want to eat hot fudge sundaes for three meals a day for the next two weeks. Nobody really wants that. Like when you really feel it in your body and you taste it after a while, it just doesn't taste so good. Like my my weight loss clients that I work with, they start to realize that whatever that candy they may be eating while they wanted it and tasted really good in the beginning, it didn't really taste so good after a while. So they didn't really want the whole bag. Maybe they want a few pieces. So allowing yourself, what is it that you really want? We talked about the television shows. What is it that you really want for fun? What's on your fun list? I mean, that's something that I'm grappling with. A girlfriend and I have plans and she said to me this morning, she goes, I believe you're in charge of our fun thing to do. So when are we going to make it happen? And I was like, oh crap, what's what's fun? <laughs> and working on that and stretching and going beyond like the things that we do that are that are fun, but it's also pretty deep. So like, what are the things that are fun and going into that discomfort of the uncomfortable. Like I know some things that are fun, but what would be fun in this other area that we want to go and explore and being willing to try it out and actually spend some time thinking about it. And it sounds so silly, but if you've been like me where so much of your energy has been on achievement for so long, I've forgotten how to play. And that's something over the past five years I've been working on, you know, allowing myself to play. And what does that look like? And reminding myself that playing doesn't mean that I have to go play on the monkey bars because that was fun for me when I was in fifth grade. It's not fun for me now. So what is fun for me now as a 42-year-old woman? What is fun for you? You know, what are the things that allow you to be joyful and happy? And so like I talked a little bit about those well bucket those uh, buckets for well-being. I know because I've really worked on it and I always I always have to have this little conversation with myself because I get into that, I need to be the A student mentality. And it's like, oh, if I write this down, it has to be the right thing. And I give myself permission that I can take that off my list. I think that this is what will make me happy, or I think this is what I need for engagement within, or these are the people on my relationship list that are really important that I connect with. And over time, that may change and that's okay. Or over time, like Bikram Yoga, huge for engagement within for many, many years, had an annual pass, go, loved it. I mean, I, I just had to be there. And back in October, I was kind of actually for more than October, like from August to October, I kept going, I don't know if I really want to do this. Do I not? But I need to re-sign up. My membership's going to end. And I finally just gave myself permission that I could take a break because I could go back. And now I'm kind of in that mindset. I went to yoga class last weekend. It was a different yoga. And I'm like, oh, I think I really want to go back to Bikram. And so I'm opening up that possibility. And here's the thing, without having to make that year commitment, like I'll go back and I'll try it out. 
and seeing what parameters that I want to go back to Bikram because I really like having my weekends open from Bikram where for a while there I was very stringent of no I go on Saturdays and I go on Sundays and that would take up my mornings. So what is it that you want and what you want now may be different than what you want in three months or a year. We talk about this. I talk about this with my life coaching clients all the time. I talk about this um, with my clients who are working on careers and definitely with my clients about food. What may nourish you today may be very different in six months. And nourishing doesn't just have to be about the food that you eat. It's about the things that fuel you that give you desire, that, you know, that create, that trigger happiness. What are those things? And then finally, one thing I want to circle back to is this idea versus reality, right? Really checking in because sometimes we have the story of, oh, this is what I want, right? This is how it's going to look. Or this is what, you know, like the house of cards that we talked about. Well, all of my friends really like this, so I must like it. The reality was I didn't, it didn't feel good. And we can do that with vacations. We can do that with relationships. So in that gap between the idea versus the reality are far apart, that's where the discomfort is going to be. So that goes back to what Jen and I were talking about, about going in and checking in. And now I want to do a shout out to those of you who have been taking that extra effort to go and leave an iTunes review that really helps out our show and helps spread the word. So Jill Farmer, woohoo, she's been a guest on the show and she left a, re- uh, a review and also Happiness Seeker and Ham Hand 2. Thanks for the shout out on iTunes. And keep in touch. Go to my website. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter. And that is just a great way for us to keep in touch. And you get the email, the interviews directly in your inbox every week. And you can take a look. And as long, there's also a letter that I send you every week. Thanks for listening. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so 